But what I want to share this morning uh, that is really on my heart is part of, in this part, part of the background of where I've been ministering and what I've been doing uh, in different parts of the world, including different parts of the United States as well. So um, this kind of, this is really more of what summarizes my life. God never goofs, Joey. He just likes to surprise people once in a while. And I would just say that's really it. I, if you were asked to ask me as a young man in high school or even in college when, before I went in the Navy, if you had asked what I had any aspirations or goals, it was probably just to survive. You know, just to get through high school, just to get through college, just to do something. Uh, no real passion for much. Uh, but then when I was in Vietnam, I, on Liberty, we were in the Philippines and met some missionaries. And they said, you know, what are you going to do when you get out of the Navy? Oh, I don't know. I'd love to go to college. And I might even go to a Christian college. You know, I don't know what I want to do. And so as this couple kept kind of at me, this missionary couple I met, uh, the teenies, Ava and Ellen Teeny, they said, well, have you ever considered going to a Bible college? I said, no, 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 no. I appreciate the thought. <laughs> Keep praying. <laughs> And so one of the next liberties were in port again in the Philippines. And they said, well, you know, you ought to be concerned. We're praying about it. And so uh, I had to have some surgery uh, down in uh, at Clark Air Base. So I had to wait at the missionary center for my ship to come back in. And as I was there, God seemed to work in my heart and say, you know, whatever you do in life, you really ought to know the Bible. I don't care what it was. So when I, so when I got out, we went to a Bible college which is now Multnomah University. Then it was Multnomah School of the Bible. And when I went there, it was never with any idea of doing anything except I needed to know the Bible. And after you've been over in Vietnam and all these other places, you know, you really see an urgency to know God's Word and to see it. And while we're on ship, there were about, started out with five of us. We had a Bible study, and then we began to share the gospel with other men, and other men became, became believers. And, and we grew to about maybe 12 <coughs> for a Bible study <coughs> right next to our bunk at night. Because uh, we worked 12-hour shifts. And it was a great time together. And so I remember when I was in, in my senior class in Bible college, and we had to take preaching. And as I got up to preach, uh, my professor then, Professor Erickson, said, Mr. Lewis, please sit down before you faint. Uh, it was so nerve-wracking, I would hyperventilate. <laughs> so they said, it's best you don't, don't do anything that involves public speaking. Boy, does God have a sense of humor or what? So I've been in the pastorates now and in teaching and in missions now for probably about 46 years. And so what can I say? God is, is always exciting to be a part of. Okay. Now, this is a picture of us because we work with a, a place called Jets, Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary in Amman, Jordan. This picture here is taken right at the corner of Syria, Israel, and Jordan. I'm standing on the Jordanian side, thank you very much. Uh, if, if you could see over here, this is the Sea of Galilee, uh, this is the Golan Heights, and this is the, the northeast corner of, northwest corner of, of uh, Jordan itself. Up by a place called Gadara, you know, the Gadarean. It's also called Umkesh in the Arabic there. So it's a beautiful place there that God has placed us to minister among many Arab believers. They're refugees from all the other countries. Besides students from Jordan, we also have students from uh, Syria and Egypt and Iraq 
and Sudan and South Sudan. This last time I had a student from Korea and he spoke fluent Arabic and Korean, no English. So, but all the students were always saying, can you tell him to slow down? Every time we turn the assignments in, he's the first one and we're always late. And I said, we'll do what we can. So great. This is one of my first, my first classes, if you will, my first students there back in 2012. All but two of these are now professors. They're all teaching uh, at undergraduate level only, and they're just doing a marvelous job working for the Lord. And they are from all those other countries, uh, mostly from Egypt and in Syria and in Jordan at this time. Great group of men there. This is another class where I have more students there. Uh, this is the first time I had two students from Egypt that spoke no English. And they really struggled with because uh, I taught Pauline letters, Paul's letters. And they really struggled with this whole idea of how we submit to governments and how we share the gospel under those circumstances. A great group of people there. Another group uh, by this time, another class, and then uh, so some great men and women. This was my last class that I was there, and uh, they're from all parts of the Arab world. And believe it or not, it was cold there. And it had just snowed the year before, and it snows there somewhat semi-regularly now around January. And in fact, right now they're having floods in Jordan. Uh, big, huge floods, probably up to about three feet of water downtown Amman and all the other places. There. If you saw Petra, Petra had snow on it and had all these rivers just flowing down through it there. Okay, now... This, I've also had a chance to teach in Myanmar, which is the old Burma. Great people there. They, rep, they have seven tribes that make up the country. And we had all six, six of the tribes represented in my class of about 50 students, 25 men and 25 women. They were coming out to, uh, to learn uh, together and to go back and so on. One of, the, one of the men represented a group called the Lisu people who were refugees from China. And as they came over, they were also accosted by the terrorists who also are trying to overthrow the government there in Myanmar. And very displaced people, but really loved the Lord. And so when I, at the end of the course, uh, I asked if there were any questions. And uh, uh, Mike, when he was from uh, the Lisu people, he says, I just have one question. When are you coming back? And I said, well, whenever you ask me. And so they, well, we ask you. So they're really hungry for God's word. Uh, Myanmar is a struggling economy, just getting out of all kinds of coups. And you've probably read about the uh, Rohingya people up in the Northwest that are being persecuted by the, by the Buddhists. There are Muslims that are being uh, exterminated, killed, sent out of the country, and so on. A really a tragedy there all the way. And so when you look at these people, they're just an amazing group. And here, I'm in the middle here with my good friend Arch. Rutherford, and there one thing you have to know about Arch, he loves Diet Coke. So no matter when we're teaching, if he's there, one of the students has to bring to him a Diet Coke about every two hours to kind of keep his pump going, I guess. But he really struggles with some of those things as well. Now, my, my latest place that God has put us in over a long period of time is a commitment we have to the Ugandan people and the people of Sub-Saharan Africa. One of the things that's happening in Africa is that Islam is moving south 
really at a rapid pace. And there's a bunch of Christian organizations that are putting together what we would call a firewall. Begin to evangelize the sub-Saharan continent of Africa and begin to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ and establish them in the faith because the Muslims are coming down in big ways, giving money to the, to the, to the towns to help build mosques, to do all of these things, and we're trying to alleviate that. Because up until probably 20 years ago, sub-Saharan Africa had very little Islam influence. There were some spots of it, but now it's really growing. So we've had a, we found there that what they needed was to have their pastors trained. And I've been asked to, for the last year, this year, next year, to introduce new courses for them to establish their leaders to be mature enough in God's Word to be able to sustain it and to, to evangelize, but also to establish. People don't realize if you have mass evangelism, Let's say you have tens of thousands of people coming to the Lord. Who's going to teach them? Who's going to lead them? Because what happens is now they're, they're religiously inclined and they're prime picking for cults. People come along and go, well, this is what Christianity is. And if they don't know any better, they're going to be the ones that are going to be sucked into this stuff very easily. And so what we're trying to do is we come behind the evangelists and begin to disciple people to begin to be in the Word and go, wait a minute, we're going to be leaders. We found out that in Uganda there are eight pastors that serve a denomination of a thousand congregations. That's, that's what's going on. And we're trying to alleviate that. And one of the things I've had the privilege of doing is to go to Uganda and to meet with 16 leaders from 10 different sub-Saharan c- countries of Africa. And uh, I have to tell you, I was talking to some of the students, and these are all leaders. And they said, you know, the most interesting thing they've discovered about the West is, they said, you know, people years ago said that, that they discovered Africa. And they said, excuse me, we were here all the time. We weren't missing. And it's just a great place to see these people on fire for God and within all different denominations. You know, one of the great things about this conference is it's just not one church. It's just not one group. You're trying to reach the community and to reach the nation and reach the world through what we do. And believe it or not, some of the greatest mission endeavors that have ever taken place in the Western society in the last two or three hundred years have happened with small groups, student groups, People that prayed, the Great Haystack Revival is one of those most notable, where uh, some men were under this great thunderstorm, were under this haystack on, on, a, on, a, on a, uh, a cart, and they began to pray about what God would have them do to help change the world. That's what happened. Moms, dad, boys and girls, men and women everywhere, taking a passion, not just an obligation, but a passion to see the world's Come to the Jesus Christ for everlasting life. But more than that, we're with B World, biblical education by extension, are coming behind and hopefully establish them to become leaders and then multiply that leadership. So that it's not just two leaders, each of those, before they can get credit for a course they take, have to introduce it to 20 more people. And before those people can get credit for the course, they have to teach it to 20 more, or not more than 25 because that's too many to handle, to introduce it there and go on and so forth. So we've had it. I want to show you a few pictures of Uganda when I was there. Uh, this one here is 
this is Lake Victoria. Lake Victoria. I flew into Antibes, and uh, the, if you've <laughs> their airport uh, is not fancy, uh, and it's had its history, if you will. And yet, when you get there, just a couple miles away is this Lake Victoria. This is the source water of the Nile. And I was, so I made a point, got on my hotel walk over to where this was across the street and go, this is it. This is it. It was amazing to do. Next slide here. Here is my group of 16 men that I'm, that I am discipling there. And they are representative of many different countries there. They represent South Africa. Some of them are ministering in South Africa, in Malawi, in Uganda, in Kenya, uh, the DRC, Republic of uh, Congo, uh, also in Zambia and Mozambique and Rwanda. These are where leaders are becoming established so that as evangelism takes place and as they carry the good news, now they can equip the leaders of these other countries that they're a part of. The one that is ministering in South Africa is from Pakistan. Great people. I mean, you think about it, and just a, a wonderful group of people to be with. And the amazing thing was I was only there for uh, just about a week and a half, and I taught for seven days, eight hours a day. But these men were hungry for it. And we met in a place called Mbale, M-B-A-L-E, Mbale, which is way up northeast of Antibi, probably right next to the Kenyan border. You can throw a rock and hit Kenya. Don't, don't do that. They get upset about that. But the beautiful place was that these men everywhere there were just so excited about learning. And these are leaders. This uh, gentleman right here, let's see if I can find him here. Um, this gentleman right here, he is actually a civic leader. He was, while we were there, he was voted by the government to be a representative for his part of that country. And so these are influential men and women that are not just clear on the gospel, but they're also energizing and developing. Between these men here, there are about 2,000 leaders that are being established. And it's just, it's amazing to see what God is doing in all of these places there. This is, this is a picture of where we met. This is the, that's the, that's where we met. And uh, all of the fans that were there all made the same clicking noise at the same time. I tell you, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> I was in my room and the fan goes, click, 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 click. I was in the classroom, click. So they must be built in there. Uh, and it's, that is a real thatch roof. So that's what they have there. And the amazing thing about it is, is that there's no air conditioning. There's just fans. Yeah. How long have you had air conditioning here? A long time. Now, I grew up in the desert. My wife and I grew up in, out in the, the Coachella Valley, uh, Palm Springs area. And when we first moved there... Uh, only a few people had, had air conditioning. We had a swamp cooler. Now, one place a swamp cooler does not work is a little humidity. Would it work here? Not a chance. It just gets wetter. So we had a, where, where this was, there was no, just ceiling fans. But the people 
uh, were so engaging and so loving toward all that we did there. This is a view, if you will, of the inside of that, that room where we all met there. Just, just a great place to be, to be able to share and to be able to do what God has called us to do. Uh, this is actually where they prepared our meals outside. And uh, I will say this, the chickens that they have there must have been very, very athletic. <laughs> I'm just telling you, there were some runners in those chickens. I've never had chicken legs that long with meat that you really have to want. <laughs> but these people, they shared, a, we had fish and all these great foods together, and it was just a great time. And, and, but at, at the table, they have toothpicks everywhere because you don't eat that chicken, without, it'll get in anywhere in your teeth. But great people that love the Lord. And they over there. And so had a great opportunity to minister. I'll be heading back there at the end of June uh, to be over there to teach a new course for them. And I'll go over next year in the end of June, 1st of July, and do it again. So it's been a great opportunity to minister in those places. This is sort of the inside of the room. Uh, here's one of my colleagues there, James Bobo. He kind of heads up that area for B. Uh, he's semi-retired. And he's a board member of B as well. And all the men sit around there and do be able to do things. This is a view, if you will, outside of the window. That over there is Kenya. This is the place we are. It's a very tropical, as you might imagine, just above the equator. So it's very, very lush and very green, very agrarian. One of the things that they're developing there is they're helping the small villagers find a small solar panel so they can run things because what they have a lot of is sun. So it's been really good for them there. Okay. Here are the, here are the students in the classroom there. And uh, one of the great things I started this time when I teach in other countries is I have each of the men thank my wife for allowing me to come. So I videotape them each saying thank you to Shan for allowing me to be there and be away. And they've been, and that's one of the treasures I have of not only to remember their names, but also to remember their faces as well. So it's a great time there. Okay. This is a picture of my bedroom. And they all have that same exact kind of fan. There is a window behind me, but you can't really open it. We do have armed guards. At the, at, at, this is just like a, like a retreat center, honest. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they're very kind. But this is also last year was during the World Cup. So we had a lot of different energy going on when, the, when different countries were playing for the playoffs for the World Cup. And so, uh, it, again, being in that part of the world, it was at a different time than otherwise. And so we made sure our breaks would encompass the time in which they could watch it. And there was a little TV about this big that we all sat around and watched it. And uh, we thought that was absolutely phenomenal. This is actually the headwaters of the Nile. Out of, out of uh, Vic, Lake Victoria, there's this inlet here, Niljiljal, and this is the bridge you go over, and that water comes from here under this bridge and becomes the Nile River. So be able to be there as part of that was quite an interesting feat in and of itself. This is a picture of Mbale, where we uh, held the conference out a little ways out of town, and we were meeting with the different denominational leaders there as well. 
So one of the great things about these people is that they, <clears throat> they have a desire to know the simple gospel message. You know, what we've tried to do in some of the work that a friend of mine and I do on the on New Testament translation is to say, we usually translate the word uh, evangelion as what? The gospel. What else do we usually call it? The good news. When people hear the word news, what do they usually think of? Huh? Information. What? Yeah, or CNN. Yeah, they think of something that's just now breaking. So what we said, what if we call it the good message? The message that gives life. Rather than just a good news, because, you know, when, when, you're, when our baby, when we have two children that are semi-grown, <laughs> they're 47 and 44, but then their dad's not far ahead. He's not that grown up either. But the idea is, is that when they were, when they were born, and I, I was there for the second one, the first one I was in the Navy coming around Cape Horn, when my daughter was there on the second one, that, that, when they said, it's a girl, and I go, hey, that's great news. But is that the, a great message? Not, 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 it, it, I was excited for her life, and that she was safe, and counted all the digits, make sure everything's there. At the same time, I want us to know that the message we're giving people is not just a new thing. It is a good message. And when we evangelize, if we don't understand what that message is, what are we sharing with them? Come join our church. Unfortunately, that's probably the number one thing people think about when you share with them anything about the Bible. Oh, you're just trying to get me over to your church. No, I don't really care where you go but I want you to possess everlasting life. That's the key to it. So these men are really becoming clearer on that. So when they share it with others, they become just as clear. Because if you're not certain of what you possess, how can you share that with anybody else? Now, I can tell you from my own experience, I was raised in a Pentecostal church in Stockton, California. If you read the history of Pentecostals, that church called the Grant Street Church is mentioned a few times in the early 20th century. My grandmother was a member of it when she was a little girl growing up. My mother was, and I was as well. So I didn't really understand the security of the believer. So most of the time I go, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer. And as a young man, then growing up in a Southern Baptist church, we moved to Southern California, I went forward often. I wanted to make sure. And you have to admit, though, after four verses of just as I am, we're all going, please, somebody go forward. We've got 20 more to go. You probably won't get that, but that's okay. But anyway, so I said, so I, I really wasn't certain. And one day I was on ship. We were on our way to Vietnam. And a good friend of mine, Jack Jones, he said, you know, Steve, Lou, we always call you by the last name because that's where you have printed on your uniform. Louis, you're going to have to get this straight one of these days. Do you have everlasting life or not? Well, I think so. What do you mean you think so? So he says, come with me. So he went to some part of the ship. I'm not sure where. We opened this door, and I don't think there was air in there. And there hadn't been probably for many years. So he went in there, and it was probably like 100 and something degrees because we're right, this was on, in July 1971. He goes, we're going to get this straight. So he shared with me some of the great verses of assurance in 1 John and in the Gospel of John. And when I left there, I knew for certain I possessed everlasting life. 
Now, from that I can share. If somebody would ask me, do you share the gospel? I don't don't want to share. But from that date forward, I have no doubt about what I possess. And when we send missionaries out and they hope they have everlasting life to tell people that they may hope as well, that's not a good message. It's kind of like the preacher says, I don't know where I'm going, and if you follow me, you won't either. That's not what we're about. If we're going to take the message to the unreached people, we need to take it clear. One of the best ways, if you have a clear message, is to be the first ones there. Have you ever tried to change someone's mind who already think they have everything they need, and they really don't? It's almost impossible. A friend of mine who's a fisherman, and I love to fish as well, he says, when you're the first one to the lake, you get the best fish. If you come after everyone's been there all day fishing, where are the fish? Either caught or hiding. But if you're the first one to some of these unreached places, you'll be surprised on how they're receptive by the work of the Holy Spirit to understand the simple message of God's grace. And that is probably the biggest clarity in my entire life and the biggest focus of my current ministry the last 35 years, 40 years or more. And I want to share that with you in our service later today. And so, I th- and do you have any questions? I, I do interactive. Do you have any questions about what I do or what I believe or anything else? We have a few minutes. Anybody? Yes. No, no, you're yeah, yeah. Uh, first up. Ah, you know, I would have to say, missions work ought to be a part of the everyone's great commission. He, oh, I'm sorry. Good question. How do you know if you're called to the missions to be a missionary or to be in a mission work? Is that about right? Okay, I didn't want to misquote you. So the thing is, is that. Every believer is to be a disciple maker their whole life. And what we've done is, inadvertently we say, well, it's kind of like, you know, I don't really want to go, but he does. I'll pay him to go. Well, they don't pay us that much, trust me. (laughs) But, you know, so really, if you have a passion for missions, to see the lost come to saving faith, you can do it right where you're at. And one of the things we're going to be talking about at the, at the other conference here this week is that we're now discovering the best way to reach certain people is to take the people nearest them and send them over. Send them over. They're not, you're not trying to change their culture. You're not trying to Americanize them or Westernize them. They're the nearest people close to them that know the good, the good message and they can go over and share it with them. See, that's going to be exciting to see that happening. Uh, it's, it's becoming more and more relevant because some places don't allow us in. Some of our missionaries in China don't, are not allowed to come back. But we have Chinese people that can go. But when you, how do you know you're called? I think everybody is called to be some sort of mission. We, some churches have on their exit says, you're now leaving to go to the mission field. 
Anything outside this building where you're being discipled and being equipped, anything outside of that is a mission field. So as far as a professional missionary, you know that God surprise thing? Nobody is more surprised than me. Especially when I went to a high school reunion and somebody asked, how is it that when we were in high school, you were always in trouble and we were Christians. Now we're atheists and you're a pastor and a missionary. I go, I didn't think it was that good. Yes, yes, please. And then you. What's that? Oh, in, in, uh, in Uganda? Yeah. Uganda has, uh, they have a lot of uh, uh, worshiping nature. They have a lot of this kind of, of stuff, uh, superstitions, and so on. Uh, and sometimes Africa is very, uh, Uganda is probably one of the most reached countries. They're even doing some sending. But some of them have been caught early by some of these cults. Uh, I have a friend who goes to Zimbabwe, and there's a whole group that wear nothing but white. All white dresses, all white men's pants and trousers and shirts, all white. And you go out there, and there's like a sea of people in white clothes, and that's part of their worship. I forgot my tie this morning, and they let me come in anyway, so... You know, but yeah, there's a little animism we call it. Other different things are there, but probably one of the biggest things is that Christians who are not certain of their salvation become some of our biggest obstacles. And that's why my passion has been to establish them in the faith. If you don't have assurance, what are you going to assure them of? It's a great thing to have. Yes, this lady here. Yes. Good morning. Uh-huh. Oh, Jets. Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary. It's a graduate school. It's eggheads. But they do have undergraduate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Very kind. Yes, yes. Oh, please. What is the largest denomination Well, uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about this week is, is how many, what percentage of different continents are Christian. And they're fairly slow. Africa, like I said, Sub-Saharan Africa, if you would have asked me 25, 30, or 40 years ago, I'd have said more Christian influence in Islam. Today, Islam is coming in in force everywhere. The Philippines, Mindanao, the southernmost region, is now almost off limits for safety reasons because of the Islamic terrorism that's going on there. I give you place. And my, our students that come from Iran or Iraq or from Syria, <clears throat> they are fighting this every day along the way. But what we're doing at JETS in fact, a colleague, of the founder of that seminary, we graduated together at Dallas Seminary. And so uh, I went 13 and a half years of school, so I'm a slow learner. So, yes. Yeah. 
You know, probably, I, I know of many friends who had a direct, definite call of God early in their life. Mine has been more of a calling to do something and God give me opportunity to do it wherever. God called me. Uh, some friends came up and said, we really would like to have you come and do some things in Uganda. And I went, you know, I've been ministering in the Middle East for about eight years now uh, on a consistent basis. I feel very comfortable there. No, but we really need you. Can you fit that in? Well, we'll fit it in. Another group says, well, in Myanmar, they just really are now getting off the ground with their new work there. Could you come and establish them? I said, okay. So I've never sought after these things. No, I'm not sure, you know. Uh, now, I, w- I have to tell you this. If somebody says, you know, they have a need of doing this in, well, like Nassau. Well, I'm signed up. <laughs> but that's not it. God prepares the place for us. And I've, I've always been open to it. I like people. I really do. I'm not sure it's reciprocal sometimes. But I like people. I like to get to know them. And, and I enjoy people from every walk. When I ministered in Singapore, <coughs> excuse me, back in the early 90s and taught there, I had students from all over Asia from all of our, at that time we were ministering in China. They come out, we would train them to go back. We had them from all over Indonesia. We had them all over from Malaysia, from all those places. When I've taught in, in all these other places, are from all the surrounding countries. So for whatever reason, God has chosen to do that. It wasn't something that I went, oh, that's where God is calling me. And one of the great things is like a congregation like this, it's very diverse. And I feel very much at home and comfortable. It's not like, well, I've never met people like that before. Now, you're probably saying you've never met somebody like me before, but that's okay. Yes. Oh, I barely speak English. (laughs) But I will say this. When I'm in the Arab countries, I tried to learn Arabic because that was going to be a focus of mine. So I would try, and I'd come in in the morning. I'd say, you know, good morning. And they'd go, no, 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 no. In Syria, we say it this way. No, in Egypt, we say it. So I said, here's the deal. Good morning in English. And my translators translate for me. Yeah. yeah. Now, one thing about Uganda, the, the place I'm going most recently, they speak very good English. I mean, th- that English is part of the language. Swahili is also their secondary language besides the French and all the others that they have. But these people are so endearing and so loving. But you have to be patient, and they have to more than ever be patient with me. If I'm not explaining it, say so. If I'm not clear, tell me. I am not above learning. But I've tried to learn. I I teach Greek and Hebrew. Uh, I'm one of those examples of those who can't teach so I teach Greek and Hebrew, and I have it taught Hebrew at three different seminaries and Greek at just two colleges. So, but yeah, I'm not, I have a good friend who's very, very proficient in languages. He can pick them up instantly. If there was a gift of tongues, Lord, I prayed for it. You know, I want to learn that language. And I just go, not there. I appreciate it. We're going to have to. We're going to have to, there were, yeah, let's just close as we go to our, uh, a break and then we'll be back again. Lord, we give you thanks today for your marvelous grace, for that matchless, marvelous, wonderful, simple gospel, which is the good message. 
The great message, the only message that gives everlasting life. I pray, Lord, that it will be embedded into our hearts, into our souls, and become of our everyday activity and even in our speech. Pray that you would just equip us to be equippers, but more than that, live in a way that brings honor to you and that we become salt and light to a dying, dying world that is without you. We thank you for these people and the opportunity to be together. We might do this this week and make it focus on you and that all of Providence will know there's something going on there in Nassau. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.